Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for being in this place. And thank you, Lord, for extending your mercy and grace to us in Jesus Christ, the one who left heaven's glory and became a man, who knew no sin but became sin for us that we in turn might be made the righteousness of God in him. Thank you, Lord, that when our sins are confessed and forgiven by Christ, they are forgotten and removed forever. Lord, give us an understanding that when we walk with you and when we pray to you, sometimes you surprise us and point out things in our life that we perhaps had not considered, things that need to be removed so that you can give to us your rich blessing. Open our eyes this morning that we might behold wondrous things from your law. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been studying the subject of prayer under the heading of Let's Pray. And the subheading of the title of this series is Let's Get Serious About Improving Our Prayer Life. Maybe not taking it all the way to where it should be, certainly we'll never be perfect in prayer, but advancing, at least in some degree, improving, changing, growing our prayer life so that it's more effective, so that it is more faithful, so that our prayer is more expressing faith and trust in the promises of God, so that our prayer impacts our life and the world around us. And this world is in need of great prayer. We see the tragedies going around us as we've noticed this week in France and we say, boy, we've got to be praying. Praying because of the threat of terrorism everywhere in the world. But the greater danger is to think that people all over this world don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They are in even more grave danger. Not just physical, it's eternal. It's spiritual. And we need to pray. We found in this study that when we pray, we can cast our burdens upon the Lord and rest in Him. Philippians chapter 4 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, pray. And when you cast your burdens upon the Lord, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So praying is about resting. But I also want you to know that praying is about wrestling. Sometimes we rest in the Lord and sometimes we do battle with the Lord in prayer. It's an interesting way to describe prayer as a wrestling match. Paul said to the church at Colossae, one of your own is with me while I'm in prison here in Rome. His name is Epaphras. And he labors hard for you, wrestling fervently in prayer on your behalf. He wrestles in prayer. And the word that is used there is the word agon, where we get the English word agony. Sometimes prayer is sheer agony. We are wrestling for others in prayer that they might be saved. Wrestling for others in prayer that they might be healed from a horrible disease. Wrestling in prayer that we might get answers to our requests But sometimes prayer is not about us wrestling with God. Sometimes prayer 
is about God wrestling with us. And that's totally different. Maybe the best story to illustrate this is found in the Old Testament book of Genesis, the very first book of the Old Testament and chapter 32. So if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to turn to Genesis 32. And as you do, let me give you a couple minutes of backstory about this wonderful, remarkable chapter. Genesis 32 is about Jacob wrestling with an angel. But we have to know something about Jacob, something about his character before we can appreciate this story. And to be sure, Jacob was a character. Genesis chapter 25 tells us that Isaac and Rebekah could have no children, so they prayed and God blessed them with twin boys. But as the children were in the womb, Rebekah said, there's uh, this jostling going on. There's this fighting between the boys. And she asked the Lord why. And the answer was, these boys represent two different nations and they'll always be warring it with one another somewhat. When it was time for these boys to be born, the Bible tells us the first came out and he was red and his whole body was hairy like a garment. And they named him Esau, which means red and hairy. <laughs> and his brother, the second one to come out, was grabbing on to the firstborn's heel. And so they gave him the name Jacob, which means one who grabs the heel. Now that sounds pretty innocuous until you understand that the literal meaning, heel grasper, has a metaphorical meaning, one who trips others up or a deceiver. Someone who is dishonest enough to fool other people to get his own way. And the names given to the boys are somewhat characteristic of the nature of the boys as well. We fast forward and, and one day Esau is out hunting. Esau, by the way, was a hunter. He loved to go out and catch the game, kill the game, and make the food. And his father, Isaac, loved him best. He went out and caught some game and brought it in. Jacob was at home cooking. He was a man of the house, not a man of outdoors. And his mother loved him best. Rebecca loved Jacob best. By the way, parents, if you want to cause problems in your family, just show favoritism to your kids, and you'll have lots of problems. And so in this situation, you, you've got the, uh, the one out getting the, the meal and coming in, and Jacob is cooking. Esau's famished, and he says, give me some of the stew that you're making, Jacob. And he says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you something to eat if you give me your birthright, the firstborn's birthright, the blessing that comes from the father to the eldest child. Esau said, well, if I die, what good is my birthright? And so he gave him his birthright and got uh, something to eat. And the Bible says that he despised his birthright, thought little of it to exchange it for a meal. We fast forward to the time when Isaac, the father, is old. He can't see very well, and he's about ready to die. He says to Esau, go get my favorite food. Prepare it for me. I will bless you, then I will die. And Esau goes running off to do it. But Rebecca hears about it. She wants her favorite to get the blessing. So she enters into a pack with her son Jacob to trick the father and get the blessing. And that's exactly what happens. 
Jacob dresses up like Esau. He probably disguises his voice. He brings some food that the mom has prepared and says to his dad, I'm Esau, I'm back. Bless me. And Isaac even said, are you really Esau? And Jacob lied, yes, I am. He gave him the blessing. Esau comes in, realizes that he has been deceived again, and he is angry. In fact, the Bible tells us, he says, I'm going to mourn for my father, and when those days are done, I will kill my brother Jacob. Jacob hears about this and flees, and he's gone for 20 years. 20 years in the land of Haran, there with relatives. God blesses him to some degree. God prospers him. And I think God begins to work in Jacob's heart. He, there, there's a turn of heart. And God even gives him a promise. Jacob, go back to your land and I will bless you with peoples and I will prosper you. And Jacob says, okay, I'll go back. I'll take your promise. And he begins his journey to go back. But he also remembers that if I go back home, Esau is waiting. And the last time I saw that guy, he said, you're dead meat the next time I see you again. Now, I find it interesting that Jacob had two possible routes that he could have taken back home. One would have avoided Esau. He chose the one that took him right toward a confrontation with Esau. I think that means that Jacob knew it was time to patch things up. It was time to reconcile with his brother. If he was really going to follow God, then he had to be right with his sibling. If God was going to make him a great nation, he couldn't avoid this problem. And that's where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 32. Verse 1, Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. That was encouraging. The angels of God met Jacob when he left the land, and now they're meeting him again when he comes back to the land. When he saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named the place Mahanaim, which in Hebrew means two camps. My camp, he had 11 sons, two wives, all kinds of livestock. He was wealthy. And God's camp, the host of heaven, God's on my side. He's going to bless me. And I'm sure this encouraged Jacob's heart as he made his way back home. Verse 3, he sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he wanted these messengers to find his brother and let him know that Jacob has been blessed with great prosperity. And by way of implication, this prosperity is going to be yours, my brother, as we come back and reconcile. And so verse 6, the messengers come back to Jacob and they say, we've got good news and bad news. The good news is we found your brother. The bad news is he's coming to meet you with 400 men, which constitutes an army. And verse 7 says, Jacob is in great fear and distress. You can imagine. And so he quickly divides the people, his people, into two groups, the flocks, the herds, the camels as well. Verse 8, he says, if Esau comes and attacks the first group, then maybe the second group can escape. And my best guess is Jacob is in the second group. <laughs> but he prays, verse 9. And this is a pretty good prayer, actually. He prays to the true God. O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will prosper you. 
So he, he remembers who God is, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his God. And he, he reminds God of his promises. That's a good way to pray. Pray to the true, true God about his own promises. It's not that God has forgotten, but the basis of your prayer ought to be the promises of God. Claim God's promise in prayer. Real prayer should be based on the word of God. He also was humble, verse 10. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I only had a staff when I crossed the Jordan, and now I've got two groups of people. And then his request, verse 11, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid. I'm afraid that he will come and attack me and also the mothers and their children. And Lord, if that happens, what about your promise? Verse 12. You said I will surely prosper you and make your descendants like the sand of the sea which cannot be counted. And here he's quoting from Genesis 28. So this is a good prayer filled with adoration and confession and supplication and reminding God of his precious promises. Verse 13, Jacob spent the night there and from what he had he selected a gift for his brother Esau and Verse 14 and 15 totals about 550 animals that he's going to give as a gift. And that was the way to express livestock and also to express rich generosity. Here was his strategy, verse 16. He put them in care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you, and asked, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? Who owns all these animals in front of you? You are to say they belong to your servant Jacob, but they're a gift for my Lord Esau. And Jacob is coming behind. Verse 19, and do this in waves. So you've got at least four, probably more waves of, of animals that are coming as a generous gift from Jacob to his brother Esau. And notice in verse 20, he says, the reason I'm doing this, I'm trying to pacify my brother with these gifts. I'm hoping that he won't come and attack me and kill me with the 400 soldiers. Now, some people criticize Jacob for doing this. I, I'm, I'm not as critical. He prayed and his prayer was pretty good. And after you pray, do what you can. If he was trusting in the gifts to pacify his brother, and not in the Lord to work about this miracle, well, then he was certainly wrong. I don't know where he's trusting at this point, but I do know this. God is not done with Jacob yet. Verse 21, the gifts are sent ahead. Jacob spends the night in the camp. Verse 22, he gets up. He takes his two wives, the two maidservants, his 11 sons. He crosses the ford of the Jabbok, and he makes sure that his family and the possessions are safe. And then he gets alone all by himself, maybe now putting himself in danger as he goes back across the stream. And verse 24 says, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the break of day. The first thing I see in this story is the battle. And this is the battle that God is going to have with Jacob. 
The scriptures tell us the state of mind that Jacob was in. He was filled with distress, right? He was afraid because of the 400 soldiers. I'm sure adrenaline was flowing through his body. And he was all alone. He was not looking for a fight. And suddenly out of the darkness, he's ambushed. The Bible just says in verse 24, a man begins to wrestle with him. And the fight is on. Now, his first thought is probably this must be Esau. But in the battle, he would have realized he's not hairy and red. This isn't his guy, the guy, my brother. But maybe he's one of his servants. And he understands that this battle is a fierce battle. This wrestling is, is uh, maybe wrestling unto the death. He's not sure what the intention of his foe, uh, the intentions really are. But he's battling for all he is worth. And by the way, the scripture says that they wrestled until daybreak. You know, wrestling is, a, is an exhausting thing. If you've ever wrestled as a sport, you know it's, it's tough. There's the gouging and there's the sweating and there's the, the moves and the holds and the pain, the exhaustion that goes with it. And in high school, I remember there were three periods, two minutes each. You would wrestle for six minutes and you had to be in great shape to do that. And even then, you were exhausted. This wrestling match goes on for four or five hours. Imagine the pain that he was in but it does appear that he's doing pretty well. Verse 25 says, when the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob. Jacob was winning, or at least holding on to his own. He was fighting and resisting and battling, and he wasn't losing. He seemed to be prevailing. Or so it seemed to him. But I love the fact that the Bible gives us some great insight as to what is really happening. Who's the antagonist here? Well, he's called a man in verse 24 and twice in verse 25. But in verse 28, the antagonist is called God. And the book of Hosea tells us even a little more about this fight. This is Hosea chapter 12. I've got it on the screen for you so you can see it. This is when the Lord is talking about Jacob as a nation. And he says, I will punish Jacob according to his ways. But then he remembers the history of the man Jacob. Verse 3, in the womb he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. So this is a wrestling match with God. This is big time wrestling. This is a wrestling that is deeper than physical. It is spiritual fighting and wrestling. Verse 4 says he struggled with the angel and overcame him. So he's a man and he's God and he's called an angel. Jacob struggled with him and overcame him. Yet on the other hand, he wept and begged for his favor. So there was a time when he appeared to be winning and then there's a time when he is weeping. Interesting. How can this man be a man and an angel and God all at the same time? Well, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that sometimes God appeared in human form as the angel of the Lord. And this is called an Old Testament appearing of God or a theophany, but sometimes it's called a Christophany because it appears that it's an Old Testament appearing of Jesus. 
And my best guess is Jacob is wrestling with Jesus. Which begs the question, how come it took all morning for this wrestling match to go on? And how come Jacob was winning? It only appears that he was winning. Because something happens at the break of day, which is pretty amazing. Verse 25 says, when the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched. And you can feel the pain when that happens, when you, when you read it. It was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And now we come to the time where Jacob is going to be broken from the battle to the breaking. Instantly the match is changed. Simply by a touch, Jacob receives a permanent career-ending injury. He's now rendered helpless in the fight. There's no way that he can continue to wrestle. He's in excruciating pain. If you've ever done any wrestling, you know that the way you gain leverage and win, pin your opponent, is to use those strong muscles of the hip and thigh. And now these are rendered totally useless. And there's no way he can win. Couldn't have God done this earlier? Why did he take so long? And here's the point of the story. Sometimes God will wrestle with us a long time before we are truly broken and we give in. The wrestling match now is viewed from a different perspective. It's not for lack of strength that the angel, that God didn't win early on. He had a different purpose in mind. He could have crushed Jacob, his opponent, at the very beginning, but he didn't. He even allowed Jack, Jacob to prevail, to think that he was winning. And when he wanted to win, the angel just touched his socket, the socket of his hip. Jacob was done. So this struggle was not about outward victory. It was all about inward yielding. It was all about Jacob surrendering. You see, as God was wrestling with Jacob, we understand that Jacob was still too full of himself. Maybe all of those attempts to appease his brother and win his brother over were just his own uh, plan, his own strategy, his own manipulating of the circumstances, and he wasn't trusting God. Or maybe it was simply that there's too much Jacob still in Jacob. Just like there's too much you still in you. And what happens to you in the providence of God is like a wrestling match to bring you to the end of yourself. And there'll be no blessing until God touches you. Isn't that interesting? Touched of God. Remember we used to sing that uh, song, He Touched Me. He touched me. Oh, and the joy that floods my soul. There is the touch of God that's merciful. There's also the touch of God that is horrible. Because when God touches us, he breaks us of our self-will, of our self-reliance, of our egotism and arrogance. And then there's the cry of faith. The angel says to Jacob, and this is rather mysterious. 
he says, let me go, for it's the break of day. Now he's God. He can go when he wants to go, right? But again, he's still condescending to the human level here. And so he says, let me go. And Jacob answers with this cry of faith, I will not let you go unless you bless me, verse 26. I will not let you go until you bless me. And I suggest to you that some of our praying is us wrestling with God and some of our praying is God wrestling with us. And what he's looking for in us is this tenacity of faith that says, I will not let you go until you bless me. We give up too soon in our praying. If it doesn't go our way immediately, we just, we give up. I think sometimes the Lord is testing us to see if there's any fortitude, if there's any perseverance, if there's any determination in us that no, we won't let you go until you bless us. Now, Jacob had no power to wrestle anymore. He was clinging to the Lord. I envision uh, this to be like a little child, maybe of three years old, who clings on to the foot of his parent, of his father. And uh, the dad says, I want to go, let me go. And the little boy says, no, I'm not going to let you go. So the dad just drags him across the floor. You know, you've seen that happen. The dad's more powerful. He can do whatever he wants to do. And God is more powerful, but he says, let me go. Jacob says, no, until you bless me. I think this fits perfectly with what Alexander McLaren said years ago. He said, God desires to go if we don't compel him to stay. Let me make sense of that. Uh, there is a story in the New Testament where after the resurrection, two men were on the road to Emmaus. Remember it? Jesus begins to walk with them, but they don't know it's Jesus. They get to Emmaus, and the Bible says Jesus gave every intention of continuing on his journey, but they compelled him to come in. And when they did, they sat down at a meal. He broke bread, and then they saw it was Jesus. Had they not compelled him to stay, he would have walked on, and they wouldn't have known who he was. In Mark chapter 6, when the disciples are in a boat, and the boat is in a horrible situation in a storm, Jesus comes walking to them on the water, and in Mark 6, as he was passing them, gave every intention that he would just keep going until they yelled, help us. And when they did, he came into the boat. God desires to go, or at least God gives every impression that he will keep going unless we compel him to stay. And it's when we compel him to stay in prayer that he reveals to us who he is and he demonstrates his amazing power. Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. What are you praying for? That, that seems to be out of your reach. You cannot do it. You know you're weak. There's nothing you can do to accomplish or fulfill this prayer request. And so you pray to God and it doesn't seem to go your way. Do you quit or do you keep praying until God blesses? That's the cry of faith. He is driven by helplessness to God. He recognizes that God is far more powerful than he is. And now defiance is replaced by dependence. And he asked God to bring the blessing. 
Now, I find it interesting that when God responds, he doesn't immediately give Jacob what he wants. He asks him a question. And now Jacob must confess his own lack of character and his own failure. Lord, bless me. I won't let you go until you bless me. Verse 27, God says to Jacob, what's your name? Ow, that hurts. I've now got to confess not just my name, but a name reveals my character. It reveals my hidden essence, my nature. You see the aspirations of a parent. They would, they would give a child a great name, hoping the child would grow into it and display great character. Or like Esau and Jacob, they would give them names that reflected who they were. What is your name? My name is Deceiver been doing it all my life. It's time to come clean. That's what God is saying. Confess your sin. Don't hide it anymore. Don't ignore it anymore. Who are you? I am a sinner. I'm a deceiver. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but it's only in the confessing of our sin that we find forgiveness. And if you want to fight with God in your own strength and ignore his mercy, and if you want to deny your sin and your weakness and expect God to bless you, my friend, the battle will just go on and on and on until he breaks you, until you come to an end of yourself. And you say to God, my name is Sinner. It's a hard thing for Jacob to do, to reveal his true identity. But it's only when we confess our sin that we can hope to find forgiveness. I love the story that comes from the life of Gordon MacDonald. I've shared this before, but it certainly bears repeating. Maybe some of you have not heard it. Gordon MacDonald was a very effective pastor of Grace Church near Boston and the president of InterVarsity Christian Ministry. He was a Christian leader who wrote great books and was sought after as conference speaker. And Gordon had an affair. He was unfaithful to his wife. For a brief period of time, tried to keep it secret, but then he went to his leaders, the people over him, and confessed his sin. I'm not telling you anything that has not been made public and even put in print. And for a period of time, Gordon went through restoration, and he got his heart right, praised the Lord, and he's been back in faithful ministry because God is a God who loves to restore sinners. But he tells this story about how God forgave him. He, said, he says, I liken it, liken it to being at the baptism of Jesus in the waters of Jordan as John was baptizing converts. He said, I look at it this way. People were coming to be baptized by John and someone was trying to organize the baptismal candidates and he wanted all of them to put a sticker on their chest so you knew who they were. You know, you've been to those seminars, hello, my name is, and you write it on with felt marker. Except at this table, you didn't write your name on that little label, you wrote your greatest sin. So Tom comes and the person at the desk says, what is your name? My name is Tom. Tom, what's your greatest sin? That's what we're going to write on this label. He said, well, I took some money from my employer. Thief. 
put it on that label and he had to put it on his chest. Next person came, it happened to be a lady. What, what is your greatest sin? She said, well, it's really not that bad. I, I gossip just a little bit. Slanderer. <laughs> they wrote on the label and she had to put that up on her chest. The next person who came, his name was George. George, what's your greatest sin? Well, I kind of like my neighbor's Corvette. <laughs> Covetous. Had to put that on his chest. Go stand in line with the others. So here's a line of people, a little tag on their chest, their greatest sin, and Gordon comes up to the table. Sir, what's your greatest sin? And Gordon had to say, I was unfaithful to my wife. Adulterer, they put on the label. Slap it on your chest, go stand in line. Gordon said, then I saw Jesus Christ come to be baptized by John, and he went down the line of people and took the label from every person and put it on his own person and then went out into the water to be baptized. And when he came up out of the water, the ink, the water washed all the ink from those labels, and they were white as snow, and the sin was gone. Gordon said, that's what got me through my darkest hour was to know if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, each one of us is like Jacob. Until we confess our sin, we are not broken. And until we're broken, we cannot be blessed. But now he confesses his sin. And that comes to the third part of this wonderful story, the blessing. The battle leads to Jacob being broken and his brokenness ultimately becomes a rich blessing. For we read in verse 28, the man, God, said to Jacob, your name is no longer deceiver, you are now Israel. One who has struggled with God and won. Literally, God wrestler is your new name. You have wrestled with God and won. You won not by conquering God, but by surrendering to God. You overcame not in your own strength, but in your own weakness. Victory comes through defeat. Blessing comes through being broken. You've got a new name. I love the new name that the Lord gives to us, don't you? The new name that we will have forever. The new name that is given to every child of God. Secondly, you're going to be given a new vision of who God really is. Jacob says to the man, please tell me your name, verse 29. And he replies, why do you ask my name? And then he blesses him. He doesn't tell him exactly uh, or unfold to him all of his character. Sometimes God doesn't unfold to us all of his ways. But in verse 30, Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Peniel means the face of God. He had a new vision of who God was. Face to face in the Old Testament speaks of favor, of fellowship. It's spoken of of Moses later on in the book of Exodus chapter 33. He was a friend of God who spoke to God face to face. He had a new vision of who God is. 
And God, yes, is a God of justice, but he's a God of great mercy. He's a God of loving kindness. And he wants to bestow his favor on us. You see, the reason why God engaged in the battle was to break Joseph so, or Jacob so he could bless him. That was the purpose. A new vision of God and then a new reminder of his transformed life. Verse 31, the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping. There was new hope and there was new reminder. The new hope is he didn't die, verse 30. He prayed that God would spare his life. God spared his life not only from Esau, but also from God himself, the judgment. But he had a constant reminder for he limped the rest of his life. If you've got a problem with one of your joints, if you have arthritis, how often throughout the day are you reminded that your body's not quite what it used to be? And you laugh because you say, I never forget. Every movement, I'm reminded. And so was Jacob. He was reminded that his life was now changed. And maybe he had a different walk, so different that others could see it as well. That guy's different. God left his mark. He crippled Jacob. Only to bless him with a blessing he couldn't get any other way. And now he's clinging to God. He's not crafty. He's not arrogant. He's not proud. He's broken. And he's clinging to God by faith. Lord, unless you bless me, I will not be blessed. And God wants nothing more than to bless you with his favor and his forgiveness and his goodness. Every day he would remember that strength comes through surrender. And every day you and I need to be reminded that without him we can do nothing. And God must break our self-reliance so that we can enjoy his amazing power and his amazing blessing. Someone put it this way, a man's pride was dashed in the darkness when the dawn of a new day arose. His pride was replaced with the favor of God and the new day expressed a new era. And in the sunlit scene of that early morning, the silhouette of a man, a transformed man could be seen halting across the horizon, a man who had an encounter with God. God wants to bless you. Confess your sin to him. Empty yourself of self. And he can fill you with his favor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story that gives to us great hope that even in the midst of our sin, there is forgiveness. And although perhaps we've been battling with you over something, the battle is really about us surrendering. And when we yield to you, we become strong. When we bow before you, we are blessed. So Lord, may every person in this congregation today and every person who's listening through the internet turn to you in prayer. 
and cry out to you in faith and cling to you until you bless. And may our church experience the blessing of God in the days ahead like we've never experienced before. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen.